Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me for another day. I'm planning on today and doing a uh, video on the prophecies of Zechariah. I will probably do at least two on this, but the prophecies of Zechariah are ones that are regularly butchered, and they are very easy to uh, take and just for people to cherry pick verses and do what they want with it, assuming the people you're talking to are ignorant about the book of Zechariah. And so I'm uh, hoping to really help you out with these things today. What I want to do in today's program is mainly focus on just understanding the book of Zechariah and what is going on during that time. And then the next one will probably go into the common prophecies that uh, people go to there because there are there's certain verses you are all very familiar with. Everyone's familiar with, uh, you know, God's stepping foot on the Mount of Olives, you know, the uh, triumphal entry prophecy, the pouring out grace and supplication on Israel, all those things. There's the, there's those key verses that everyone's familiar with. But what nobody does is pays attention to the verses around them. It's very important that we pay attention to the entire book and uh, you are being manipulated with this book. And if you're familiar with the whole book, if you're familiar with the history, the context, nobody's going to be able to get away with doing what they're doing with this book. So we're going to go deep today. Okay, We are going to go deep. And just so everyone knows too, just kind of a side note, future reference, uh, I'm probably not going to continue putting something out every day. Um, what I'm going to try to do from here on out is, uh, I'm going to try to do at least one guest a week. Sometimes it might be more. Um, and then one, uh, video just of myself teaching about prophecy about Israel. Um, so some weeks will be more, some weeks might be less. I'm going to continue trying to do a sermon every week, uh, on prophecy or Israel and so I'll take recommendations if you uh, if you find a good sermon uh, that's on that subject you think is really good, send that to me. Let uh, let me know, and uh, we'll uh, consider putting it on this channel. And they don't have to uh, teach identically the way I do. If if they say something that I would disagree with, it does not mean the sermon gets canceled. Okay, uh, I am I am not that way. And I think some people like me to be that way, but I'm just not that way. So I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm okay if people don't agree, dot all their I's and cross all their T's. In fact, if you could find a pre-tribber out there preaching a good sermon on Israel, I'll post it. I, I get I get people's permission. I'd have to get his permission, um, you know, or something like you know. I, if I feel like there's something we can all learn and benefit from, I'll probably share it. It just needs to be somebody who's not a heretic, a King James guy, stuff like that. So anyway. Uh, we are going to get into the subject of the prophecies of Zechariah, and we are going to go full nerd. We're going to go deep. Uh, whenever I'm preaching in church, I am always very well aware of the fact that the people who come to our services are people who are being obedient to the Lord. They are not forsaking the assembling, and uh, I don't take that lightly. I appreciate it. It means a lot when people show up for church, and so it's very important to me whenever I'm preaching that I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit, that I'm mainly preaching what God wants me to preach. Obviously, that comes first. But then after that, I want to I preach something, too, that is going to be a blessing to these people who 
have been obedient to the word of God and showed up for church. And I don't want to bore people to tears. I don't want to just get up and talk about what I want to talk about. I don't want to just get up there and, uh, you know, be preaching sermons, you know, dealing with, you know, personal things and, you know, uh, fighting personal battles I'm having maybe with another group or another preacher. Uh, I, I try to think about God first and then the people second. And obviously there's things that I would like to talk about and things that I'm interested in. And, but, you know, maybe God's not wanting that for the church. They're not wanting it. And so understand this is my podcast. So obviously I, uh, I think I can take a little more liberty here when it comes to what I talk about. And if I want to get on here and I want to ramble about some things that I find fascinating and interesting, I can do that. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to take the time to ramble and just unload the truck with a whole bunch of information. And so not everybody will be interested in this, but some people will. And no matter what, I'm interested in this, and so I'm going to talk about it. So be prepared uh, for a lot of a lot of facts today. So the first thing we need to do to understand the book of Zechariah is we need to understand the history. We need to understand what is going on during this time in Israel. It, it, this is so important. Do we really think that the prophecies that Zechariah was giving were prophecies that were meant for exclusively for a group twenty over 2,500 years later. Is that what we really think? All right, folks, I'm here today to give you a prophecy that has absolutely nothing to do with you. It has absolutely nothing to do with anybody in this time era we're living in. This is all about something that's going to happen 2,500 years from now. I'm right. I'm giving this to you right now during this crucial time in our history because I need to give the pre-tribbers some things to talk about so they know what's going on uh, to prepare them for that imminent rapture. Is that what we think? Obviously, there was a message for them in that day when Zechariah gave it. And it would probably be beneficial if we knew what that message was. And now I am not here to tell you that there is nothing spoken of in Zechariah that is still to come. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I am telling you it is important because I'm going to say some things that are going to, you know, probably make some people's head explode about the prophecies in Zechariah. And uh, it's important that you understand that this prophecy, and I hate to sound like a dispensationalist, it wasn't for you. This was something that was for them during that time. And if it if there are some very close similarities to things that we believe are still to come, there is a reason for that, and it's important we understand that reason. And I've been saying this over and over again, and I'm going to continue saying this. Prophecy is not just someone telling you what is going to happen. Prophecy is preaching. Prophecy is often a call to repentance many times. Sometimes it is a call to action. The prophecies of Zechariah are a call to action. It is a, these prophecies were given to Israel during a very special time and it was instructing them in some things. And it was instructing them that if they will do these things, then there are some things that God is going 
to do. So these are prophecies about instruction. So what we have to do when we look at the prophecies of Zechariah is we have to ask ourselves, what were they supposed to do? Then we need to ask ourselves, did they do these things? And if the answer is no, then we probably shouldn't expect things to play out exactly as spoken. And that's what people are doing wrong. So to help you get this, let's take some time to look at a chart here showing a, it's like a chronological layout of the books of the Bible. And you will notice over there on the left in the, in the middle, you know, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, uh, and then uh, you see first and second Samuel. And then notice above it is, it says Amos and Hosea. Those were prophecies that were about the Northern kingdom. Very also important to understand that above first Kings and second Kings, we see prophecies that were given during those, during that time era towards the Southern kingdom, Joel, Micah, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Jeremiah. These are prophecies geared towards the Southern kingdom. Remember the kingdoms split. It's important that you get a hold of that in every one of those books. Okay. And we're probably gonna do some, uh, we will definitely do, uh, something on the prophecies of Jeremiah eventually. But then we have some prophecies that were about foreign nations. Jonah, Nahum, Obadiah. Jonah and Nahum were about Nineveh. Obadiah was about Edom. And then we have the 70-year captivity. Okay, Now, you will notice, I wish there was a way to show my cursor on here, but 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles are underneath each other. They both end, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles end, with the uh, destruction of Jerusalem from Babylon, okay? And then we have 70 years of exile. Notice the two books that are given during that exile period. That is Daniel and Ezekiel. Those were given during the exile, okay? Now, uh, then after the exile, we have the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Esther's kind of its own story, but Ezra and Nehemiah are some of the most important. These books are so important that no one preaches the doctrinal significance of it in the dispensational world. They, They just don't do it. I think part of it is they don't know, but it is. It is very deep stuff. Typically, People, they will preach Bible principles from Ezra and Nehemiah about withstanding opposition and let's build that wall, you know, and let's remove the rubbish from our life. And they'll make all these life application principles. It's not wrong to do that. We should do that from these stories. But these stories also have doctrinal significance and prophetic significance because many, many prophecies from Jeremiah, especially, are being fulfilled in Ezra and Nehemiah. And it's important that you get a hold of that because many people are taking the prophecies from Jeremiah about the regathering and are applying them to the future. So wait a minute, do we really think Jeremiah prophesied about a regathering of Israel before the captivity and then after the captivity, they're regathered? But no, Jeremiah's, his prophecies about the regathering of Israel wasn't about that 70 years later. It was about something, you know, over 2,500 years in the future. No, absolutely not. 
And what people do is they will run to the things that clearly have not happened yet. And therefore prove that everything was about the future. Wrong. You don't understand prophecy. You don't understand what it is. You think it's looking to a crystal ball and just seeing into the future. Not all prophecies are like that. Some are, but not all are like that. So under we're, we're, we're going to make sure we get a hold of what is going on in Zechariah and, uh, historically. And, and there's so much that uh, that I want to say about this. But remember, so 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, they end with the destruction of Jerusalem. And then they'll mention how they were brought back during the time of Ezra. 2 Chronicles 36, it mentions that, that, you know, and then Cyrus commissioned them to rebuild the temple. That was huge because Ezra chapter one, when Cyrus, when it talks about Cyrus commissioning them to rebuild the temple, that was prophesied by Daniel and Daniel chapter nine, that kicked off the 70 weeks of Daniel. And, and so here's what I want everybody to get a hold of looking at this chart. The book of Dan, uh, of Ezekiel, the book of uh, not so much Haggai, there's a little bit, of, but, Ze- but Zechariah especially, and Malachi. Okay? Ezekiel and Zechariah, basically what those books are, these are, these are prophecies that were given as Ezekiel during the captivity, Zechariah shortly after the captivity. These were giving some new instructions for Israel at the rebuilding of the temple and these specific instructions. Obviously, they were to go back to doing the things that they were doing 70 years before, but there was also some additional things they were to do specifically to prepare for the Messiah. That's what they were doing. Ezekiel gives many instructions about how they were to prepare for the Messiah. Zechariah gives instructions for how they were to prepare for the Messiah. Malachi, when we get to Malachi, the final book, it's basically the prophet calling out Israel for not doing a very good job. They were not doing the things the way they were supposed to do them to prepare themselves for the Messiah. And he gives prophecies. And and, and these are like warnings. These are prophecies that are calls to repentance. And he's telling them, about he prophesies about the Messiah, how he's going to come. Not going to go through the Malachi prophecies, but basically those prophecies about what the Messiah was going to do, it was kind of a warning to Israel because they need they were supposed to be preparing for him. So it's kind of a reminder of what they've been instructed to do in Ezekiel and in Zechariah, and letting them know you're not doing a very good job, and the Messiah is coming, and you're going to be in trouble. But if they would be ready, it's good news because you know good things are going to happen. So. Uh, that's kind of what Malachi, so you'll notice here that you got Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi all together. That's very important that you understand those three books right there because we do, we often, when we read through the Bible, we we often read them in order and it's not wrong to do that. But the problem is when we read them in order and we don't understand, if we're not familiar with the history, we can get very confused because we'll read First and Second Chronicles, then we'll read Ezra. Well, do we realize, do you realize chronologically how much Bible you just skipped if we're thinking chronologically? First off, you have Jeremiah. 
that much of Jeremiah is written in between Second Chronicles 36 and Ezra 1. And and Second Chronicles 36 goes all the way to Ezra, but it's just it's briefly mentioned. Ton of stuff happened in, in that time. Jeremiah gives a lot of detail on that. You have all of the book of Ezekiel that is written in between that time as well. And then you have some of Daniel that's, uh, well, I guess all of Daniel probably is written within that time as well. So you got Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, that should all come in between Second Chronicles and Ezra. And so there's all these prophecies that are in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. But the problem is the fulfillment of those, many of those prophecies are in Ezra and Nehemiah. And you don't read those books again until you got, you're all the way through the Bible again. And so what's ha- it's like what's happening, everybody's reading their Bible like it's chronological. And so then they read, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and it's still to come. Wait, no, no, no. Ezra and Nehemiah are after that. Go back and see what things were fulfilled. So remember, there are some things that weren't fulfilled. I, I, I understand that. Therefore, it's all about the future. No, you're reading it wrong. You're missing the point, okay? You're missing the point. So if you if you get these things chronologically in your head, this is gonna this is gonna help you out a lot. And so again, uh, yeah, Daniel and Ezekiel during the time of exile. So Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, those are are very important. Those are instruction after they go back and rebuild the temple. So when remember when they went back, we've been going through Ezra right now in Sunday school. Whenever they go back from the captivity, it took years for them to rebuild that temple. Years. And we see in Ezra chapter 7, Ezra shows up basically to come back because he's a scribe. He knows the word of God. He's got to instruct the Levites on how to do their job. They've never done it before. While those things have been being passed down from generation to generation, it's been over 70 years since they've done all these things. In fact, it was probably over 100 total by the time they got back to doing these things, because I think it was 40-some years or 30-some years it took them to rebuild the temple. And so uh, this is kind of a new thing for them. New instructions have been given in Ezekiel. So a lot of times you'll hear theologians refer to Second Temple Judaism. And that makes sense because there were some things that changed in the Second Temple. And But here's the main thing I want you all to get. When they were in captivity, there were many, much of the prophecies of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, were about the restoration of Israel to their land that happened in the days of Ezra. It already happened. And they were given instructions. It was prophesied the temple would be rebuilt, and they were given further instructions, ultimately to prepare themselves for the Messiah. And it had even been told them by Daniel the timeline from when he would come within 70 weeks are determined. It was going to be a rough 70 weeks. It was going to be a very difficult time, but they were to prepare themselves and to be ready because the Messiah was going to come and he was going to set things straight. So when we, uh, so let's go ahead now and look at some scriptures to just kind of put some things in mind. So when we go to Zechariah chapter 1 in verse 1, it says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo the prophet, saying. So this is during the time of 
Darius. Now, if you want to get a little more specific, well, what, what was going on in the time of Darius? Well, Ezra chapter 5. Okay, Ezra chapter 5. This is after Cyrus has commissioned them to go rebuild the temple. And if you go read Ezra, they go back. They start working on the, start building the temple. And then you had the opposition show up and basically accusing them of plotting a rebellion. They went and they tattled on them. And then they got word back that they weren't supposed to build the temple because the new king uh, was not familiar with Cyrus's decree. And so the work had ceased. Israel had stopped rebuilding their temple. The work had stopped and they were just kind of back in limbo doing nothing. And so in Ezra chapter 5, after the work had ceased, it says, Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God, even unto them. So right there shows us exactly when Haggai and Zechariah were written. And basically, Haggai especially, his prophecy was basically this. It's time to get back to work. Yeah, but the government said we shouldn't. God said you should get back to work. That's basically the message of Haggai. And there's some promises. There's some messianic promises in there, just like in Ezekiel, just like in Daniel. There's some messianic prophecies. It's time to get back to work. Build that temple. We've got to get ready for the Messiah. That's what the book of Haggai is all about. And so in the book of Ezra, we say they get back to work. And you know who worked with them? Haggai and Zechariah. They were working with them. When we get into Zechariah, he also is basically, he gives messianic prophecies. But ultimately, his prophecies are to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. There were some things they were supposed to do to be ready. Now, let me ask you all a very important question. Okay. Was Israel ready for the Messiah when Jesus came? Well, the answer to that is very easy. No. Anybody can get that question right. Now, let me ask you, what did it mean to be ready? What were they supposed to do? How were they supposed to prepare? What did it mean to be ready? It, it, that actually meant something. There was something they were, there were many things that they were supposed to do and they didn't do those things. That's why when Jesus came at his triumphal entry, he wept over Jerusalem. Here is the fulfillment of the prophecies from Ezekiel and from Daniel and from Malachi. And Israel had not followed the instructions of Haggai, Zechariah, of Malachi, of Ezekiel. They had not done the things they were supposed to do. You think prophecy is just looking in a crystal ball, but no, prophecies are instructions. They are calls to repentance. They are calls to action. And these these prophecies and these calls to action, it's like, if you do this, I'll do this. So, you know, these things, they... They were, it was just telling the future. There was, there was no if. Yes, there was, and I'm going to show them to you. I'm going to show you them. Because it we do, we see many things that were fulfilled from these prophets, but you know, you know what it always is? This is what it always is. It's always the Messiah doing what he said he was going to do. But then there's a whole bunch of things that don't happen. We're and we're going to go over those probably in the next video, a bunch of the things didn't happen. 
we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do we see one part of the prophecy being fulfilled and another part, it's not even close, not even in the ballpark? I'll tell you why. Because these prophecies were calls to actions. The prophecies was the prophet saying the Messiah is going to come and he needs to do this or he's going to do this and you also need to be ready and you need to do this. But they weren't ready. They He came into his own and his own received him not. So why in the world would we read the prophecies and expect them to come to pass exactly as spoken? If they did, then the prophets were wrong because the prophets said these things are going to happen if, and and we're going to show you those, nobody wants to read these things. You're letting prophecy preachers cherry pick things and then make application for the future to fit their you know, dispensational construct that they've come up with and and dispensational timeline that Clarence Larkin wrote up that was very faulty. Don't let people get away with that. And if you're familiar with these books, if you're familiar with the history of what's going on and you hear people make an application for, or I should say interpretation for the future of some of these things, you're gonna be like, what is wrong with this guy? This doesn't make any sense at all. And And it doesn't. So, um, so let's go ahead and take some time to uh, look at some of these things that we see in Zechariah and show some of the contingencies that are in there. So let's look at Zechariah 2.10. It says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of them, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Okay? And so when, when you're reading that, it's like, man, this is going to happen. This is the prophet saying it's going to happen. Therefore, this, this has to happen. Unless there's an if. And there are. There are ifs in these prophecies. Uh, in Ezekiel 37, and so notice it's talking about uh, him dwelling among the people. We see this also in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them, Israel, forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. And you say, God is going to set his sanctuary in the midst of Israel. They are going to be his people. God's not done with Israel. That's what they'll say. Are you sure about that? Is that how you're going to interpret that prophecy? What if I show you some ifs in Ezekiel, in Zechariah? In in Zechariah 6.14, it says, and the crown should be to Helam and Tobijah and Jediah and Hen the son of Zephaniah for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord. 
and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you, and this shall come to pass if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. You see, you're missing this. I, I, I don't see the if in those in that prophecy in Ezekiel. You, you are going to see it. But understand, too, the ifs are there. But understand also the ifs are implied if you understand that Ezekiel is giving Israel instructions on how to prepare for the Messiah. And within those instructions on how to prepare for the Messiah, we have a prophecy of what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. But the, the Messiah is only going to do these things when he comes if they prepare, if they are ready, if they do what he tells them to do. And nobody wants to take into consideration the fact that they didn't. So these things, these things can't come to pass. God doesn't break his promises to Israel. And so if God promised, I'm going to do all these great things if you do these things, and they didn't do those things, then God can't do those great things. If God says, I'm going to do all these terrible things if you don't listen to me, and then Israel doesn't listen to him. God can't break his promise to Israel. He's going to do the terrible things to them. See, the problem is you don't understand the prophecies. You don't understand what prophecy is. It's not just looking at a crystal ball and predicting the future. It's telling the future of what will happen if you obey, telling the future of what will happen if you disobey. Stop looking to the prophecies as if Israel obeyed and were ready. They didn't obey and they weren't ready. So again, you say, well, certain things still have to come to pass. Well, I get that there are certain things that God is going to accomplish. Um, but the question is how? Is he going to accomplish those things? Well, we learn that from the New Testament. He's not going to accomplish those things through an ethnicity. He's going to accomplish those things through Jesus Christ. And so we will see a fulfillment. You can make application from things in Zechariah. You can make application from things in Ezekiel. You, we can make application, but do not apply them to Israel. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. As, as the church, we make application because these things are fulfilled through Christ and we are in Christ. And understand the things that are fulfilled through Christ, the fulfillment of those things are better. And that's why in Ezekiel 37, he prophesies about God dwelling in a tabernacle amongst Israel forever. But understand in Revelation 21, we see something very different, but also much better. This is the fulfillment. It's, it's, it's actually going to be better. What you're reading in Ezekiel 37 is inferior to what we read in Ezekiel 21 because the old covenant is an inferior to the new covenant. And in, in Revelation 21... And it says and I saw, in verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Is that, is that Israel? Well, it's spiritual Israel. But he doesn't call it Israel. It's just with men. Why? Because by this time, the heathen's gone. The heathen's been removed. You know, it, this is a new heaven, a new earth. There's no more sickness, sorrow, crying, pain, death. Those things are all gone. And God is not dwelling in a tabernacle 
or a tent in the midst of Israel, his tabernacle is this earth, the new heaven. It's with men and he will dwell with them. God's back to walking with man again like he was in the Garden of Eden. And in Ezekiel 37, after that, after you have Gog and Magog in 38-39, in chapter 40-48, through 48, we see another temple that's spoken of. And there are dispensationalists that teach that this is like a millennial temple or a new heaven and new earth temple. No. The only temple that's to come is an Antichrist temple. You know what it says in Revelation 21-22? And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So what about that temple in Ezekiel? Okay, Because people, they read Ezekiel 40-48 and, and they like, this still has to come to pass because these things never happen. You don't understand what's going on in Ezekiel. All right, and we'll and we'll get to that in a minute. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But let's look at another disclaimer in Zechariah chapter three. I'm going to show you the disclaimer in Ezekiel because it's there. It says in the angel of the Lord, verse six, protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among the, these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at, for behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And so Joshua is the current high priest at this time. And so he is commanding them that this priesthood that's about to be restored, that has been out of commission for a very long time. Oh, and by the way, this week in Sunday school, we're getting to a fun chapter in Ezra chapter nine. Wait till you see Ezra when he finds out the condition of the priest during this day. Okay, Ezra chapter 9 is after what we're seeing here in Zechariah chapter 3. It's it's after that, and the priests were a mess. Ezra was so upset, he was so frustrated. When he saw these priests, he started ripping his hair out, literally. He literally ripped his hair out. They were so bad. Hey, now... I don't believe it was too late for him. God was merciful and you know and they 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 attempted to fix these things, but ultimately folks they never they never got it right. Israel never got these things right. Even though God did the miracle of restoring them the land, having them rebuild a temple, even having Cyrus fund it, fund it, protect them, God God paved the way for them to get these things done and they still didn't get it done. They didn't follow Zechariah 3 chapter 4. When we go into chapter four, basically what we're, you need to understand this here. This is just a prophecy showing this temple would be finished in the days of Zerubbabel. It says the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. We see him in Ezra and his hands shall also finish it. This is just a prophecy showing, hey, you've started a great work here. And it took several years. He's like, it's going to get done. Zerubbabel was here for the beginning of it and he will be here for the end of it. And it says in John 2.20, then said the Jews, 40 and six years was the temple and building. And wilt thou rear it up in three days? So it did. It took many years, but it all got done in Zerubbabel's lifetime because Zechariah is all about encouraging them to get back to work on the temple. 
giving them instructions in that new temple to prepare for the Messiah. The pre-tribbers, the prophecy preachers, they're all just looking for a, a prophetic verse that goes along with their timeline about the future, and they ignore the purpose and the context of Zechariah. And so there, I, I've showed you multiple contingencies in Zechariah, and we already know we've read Malachi. We've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Israel was not ready. He said, what did he say? Thou knewest, Jesus said, thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. They were not ready for him. They had not prepared. And so when we get to Ezekiel 40, and it, it is, it's, 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 it's some tough reading, but many people are reading the prophecies in Ezekiel, like a part about the Eastern Gate and the Messiah coming through the Eastern Gate, and they're acting like it's still going to happen. It happened. It It happened. It's called, we call it Palm Sunday. We call it the triumphal entry. The Messiah came through the Eastern Gate. Yeah, but what happened to all the great stuff that we see in Ezekiel prophesied about? They weren't ready. Look at what it says in Ezekiel 43 9. I'm going to put this up on the screen in Ezekiel chapter 43 and verse 9. Give me a second here says, now let them put away their whoredom. And understand, this prophecy right here, he's giving it while he is, he's giving them uh, instructions to the priests. He's giving instructions to the priests on what they are supposed to do to prepare themselves for the Messiah. Okay, get a hold of that. So now let them put away their whoredom and the carcass of their kings far from me, and I will dwell in the midst of them forever. Thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel. Referring to that that house, referring to that temple and the instructions, the dimensions, how God wanted it done. He said, show this to them that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. And if they be ashamed of all that they have done, show them the form of the house and the fashion thereof, and the goings out thereof, and the comings in thereof, and all the forms thereof, and the ordinances thereof, and all the forms thereof, and all the laws thereof, and write it in their sight that they may keep the whole form thereof, and all the ordinances thereof, and do them. This is the law of the house upon the top of the mountain. The whole limit thereof round about shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. And guess what? They, they weren't ashamed. They weren't prepared. And go, go take the time to slowly read through Ezekiel 40 through 48. It is. It's instructions for the new temple that they are to build. They didn't even follow that right. After they rebuilt the temple, it was something that the older men who remembered the previous temple, they wept and they saw it because it was inferior. It was, it was to them in sight as nothing is what I believe, uh, I think Haggai. I believe uh, I believe Haggai said that, or maybe um, yeah. You know I'm gonna I'm gonna find that passage. It's important that we get a hold of this. Yeah, let's check this out. Ha- this is this is important. You get a hold of this. This is showing their results. Ezekiel describes a pretty glorious temple, but they didn't even get that right. Israel was an epic failure, and it says, "Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now?" 
Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth uh, among you. And for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So notice after they, you know, when they started rebuilding that temple, from the time they laid the foundation, it was very apparent this was not going to be as glorious as the Temple of Solomon. But I believe they did the best they could. I believe when you, we look at all these instructions, one could make the argument that they couldn't have done all this stuff. This was impossible. But here, here's the thing about it. We see even though by the time we are in Haggai, we are after Ezekiel. They are not following the instructions for the temple that Ezekiel gave. They're, they're not doing that. But at the same time, God was merciful. Israel was always falling short, and God was merciful. Because in reality, he said, the silver and gold is mine. Anything they can build, that's God's. God's not impressed with the temple made with hands and the silver and gold, all those things. God is interested in the things of the heart. And what was what was important was who was going to come. The Messiah was going to come. The desire of nations was going to come. And his glory was going to fill the temple. And understand, Jesus was greater than the temple. Say, but none of that stuff happened. I know. You know why? Because even though... Israel had not done any of the things that they were supposed to do. Even though they had greatly fallen short, God would have been merciful to them. And Jesus Christ, he, he can fix anything, but they rejected him. They despised him. They killed him. And, that, and I know it was always prophesied they were going to do that, but understand that was disobeying. For them to disobey there has to be something to obey. What were they to obey? What well, we see in Ezekiel, Zechariah, Haggai, Malachi. They disobeyed all of those things. So why do we expect an outcome that is good for the Jews who killed Jesus? We don't. But understand, okay? Understand it's still not over. It's still not over for Israel because Jesus did die and he paid for all, all their sins. He did that work on the cross, but they have to believe on him. They've got to put their faith in him. And many people are predicting some new future move of God on Israel because those things didn't happen back then. No, those things don't have to happen that way. In fact, they can't. Otherwise, God broke his promise and understand many of those things are already fulfilled because you know, Israel was destroyed as a result. What about Israel today? It's not even really Israel. It's fake Israel. 
Okay. Well, you know, what about what about Jews that descend from Abraham? Well, first off, we don't even know for sure if they do. Doesn't really matter. I just know they're human beings. They just need to be saved. Okay. All, all we should be caring, worrying about with Jews today is giving them the gospel. That's it. That's that's it. Now is the day of salvation. When Jesus Christ comes back, it's going to be too late. After that, there's not this future revival, restoration based on Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all these prophecies. No, you don't understand what those prophecies are, what kind of prophecies those are. And so when you understand the history, what's going on, Zechariah is given during a time when they are rebuilding the temple and it's motivation. It's motivation for Israel. Get this temple done. Do the things I tell you to do because eventually the Messiah is going to come and he's going to do some great things. He's going to defeat your enemies. But but these things are going to come to pass if, if you do what you're supposed to do. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. So I'm not looking for those glorious things to happen to them. But I do believe, okay, and, and get a hold of this. I do believe it is appropriate to make application uh, for the good things to the church, you could say, to believers in the future. Yes, there are some, because and so what the dispensationalists do, they'll look and say, that's for Israel, that's not for the church. And I agree with that interpretation. But understand that interpretation, you know, uh, is one that was for Israel and they failed and therefore no good's going to come. But I do believe that these things that, uh, these good things that were prophesied, it's God's will for those things to have a fulfillment. And those fulfill, the fulfillment of those things will come through Christ and through those who are in Christ. And so it, we often are going to go back to Zechariah and we are going to take certain passages and make application for the future. And so people aren't wrong. Uh, wrong when they do that. Where they're wrong is when they make application for another Israel, a fake Israel that is out there today. No, you can't make that application for them. So interpretation was for Old Testament Israel. That ended badly. So application for the good things is made on the Israel of God, the church. And when and where the pre-tribbers and where the where we part ways from the dispensationalists is they are making application to the wrong people, and that is wrong. That's inappropriate. And and in reality too, they're not even making application. They're making it the primary interpretation. They're acting like Zechariah is prophesying of things that were going to happen, you know, four hundred some years later, and twenty five hundred years later in that same chapter. It's like, really? That was fulfilled 400 years later? This one was fulfilled 2,500 years later? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know why? Because it's wrong. It's wrong. And so we will, having laid the foundation of this in the next program, uh, Lord willing, for tomorrow, we will will go to the famous prophecies. We're not going to go to all the prophecies. There's a lot of prophecies, a lot of things people will cherry pick, try to make about the future, but we're just going to hit the famous ones. And we're going to show you interpretation and and the fulfillment of those things. And then we will show you application as well. Always understand the difference between those two things. So this was deep stuff. 
I mean, you know, we, we nerded out on these things, but hopefully it was helpful to you and uh, will give you a better understanding of these books. So thank you all for watching this. God bless you. We'll see you all next time.